So uh, this morning, I, uh, for those of you that don't know, I had a very short but illustrious college career. Uh, in the uh, mid-70s, <clears throat> I, uh, I was at what was then called FJC, Fullerton Junior College. I believe today it's FCC, if I'm not mistaken, Fullerton Community College. But it was a, it was a junior college then. And uh, on my uh, first day of college, my first class, I, I, I fancied myself something of a pseudo-intellectual. Uh, so I took a philosophy class. So it's my first day of, of college, 7 a.m. I show up at this philosophy class, and the, the professor comes out. He is a, uh, an, an older Greek gentleman. When I say Greek, he's not just like Greek heritage. He's Greek. Uh, he's got this thick accent, his dark olive skin, this huge shock of white hair, which was once black, I'm sure. He's wearing a suit, which it's the 70s. I, don't, I didn't know anyone owned suits in the 70s. It's 7 a.m. You've got to just go with me on this. 7 o'clock in the morning, my first day of college, dude walks in. He says, philosophy, philo love, Sophia wisdom, the love of wisdom, philosophy. I'm just going... What happened? I, I have no idea where I am. I've got a time warp. Uh, started talking about wisdom. And, and wisdom is an interesting topic. According to our dictionary, whether you read uh, Merriam-Webster or Funk and Wagnall, uh, dictionary is, is applied knowledge. It's, it's not just being smart or knowing something, but it's a combination of life experience and knowledge and good judgment. It's making good decisions based on what you've learned uh, through sort of the school of hard knocks. Sometimes you might have heard it said of a younger person, hey, they have wisdom beyond their years, which means that uh, they've exhibited some level of understanding that seems to be beyond their age. They haven't really had that experience. Most of us who are a little bit older have probably said at one time or another, I, I wish I would have known then what I know now. Uh, because we've learned something over the course of life. So, so that's sort of a picture of wisdom in our culture and our society today. question is, uh, does Scripture have anything else to say about wisdom? Is, is there maybe a little different perspective on what wisdom is and where wisdom comes from in Scripture? That is the topic of our text in James today. For those of you that are uh, uh, new with us or haven't been here, we've been studying through the book of James and we are in the uh, latter part of chapter 3 this morning. I'd like to read that together, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into it. So this is James 3, uh, beginning in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere." Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We ask you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning, that we would, uh, we would in fact, be imparted uh, some wisdom from you today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I think we can see from James's uh, description here that wisdom has a very practical aspect to it. I was, uh, I was actually talking with... Uh, Dr. Dave Murray earlier this week, and uh, in the midst, we were having a very philosophical conversation. And in the midst of our talk, uh, I made the statement that, that uh, faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. And wisdom, like faith, like love, like hope, does not exist in a vacuum. I could be, uh, and maybe I am, no, I could be the wisest person in the world. But if, if I were the wisest person in the world, on a remote island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean all by myself, it really wouldn't matter, would it? There needs to be some point of outworking uh, for wisdom to to actually be wisdom. There needs to be an object of that. There needs to be some application. James tells us that if anyone has wisdom and understanding, that they'll show that by their their good life and deeds done in humility. Uh, That's how we'll know that a person is wise. They'll have a good life, and they'll show that with deeds that are done in humility. Um, That's his introductory statement about wisdom. Now, he goes on to differentiate between two different kinds of wisdom, uh, a true wisdom and a false wisdom, a a wisdom that uh, he says is from heaven and a wisdom that's not from heaven. Um, But in introducing the topic... Uh, James begins with this idea that you can see wisdom, it's practical, there's a working out of it, and, and we see that in someone's, first of all, good life. And what he, he means here is a good way of life, a good mode of life. He's not talking like if you're wise, you, it'll, it'll provide the good life for you. He doesn't mean that. He means your life will be good. It, it, it will be uh, generous. It, it, it will be gracious. It will be kind. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit will be exemplified in the life of a wise, wise person. And, and furthermore, uh, it, wisdom will be evidenced in their good deeds that are done in humility. And I think that's a very important thing for us to get a hold of here this morning, is that wisdom and humility are very interconnected. Uh, wisdom is exemplified in humility. When we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, that, that is a humble deed that comes from wisdom. We talked about this not too long ago, where... Uh, the, the meal had started, and normally uh, when people came into a home, the, the, the host would provide uh, foot washing for them. Uh, that had not happened, and so Jesus kind of waited to see if anyone else would rise up and do this, and no one did, and so he set an example, and, and humbly he went and washed the feet of his disciples. Whether it's, it's that or whether it's caring for uh, widows or orphans or other marginalized people in our society, as James mentioned earlier in his book, Uh, if it's just loving the community at large through some of the ways we talked about it in announcements today, all of those things are done in humility. It's it's serving and caring for others in humility. The reason that wisdom gives birth to humility is that wisdom recognizes that it's not in me. It's not about me. I'm not doing this because I'm a good guy. I'm not doing this because I because I'm nicer than you. In fact, wisdom recognizes if, if there's anything good coming out of my life, 
It's, it's, I don't have that in me at all. It's from him. Wisdom understands that uh, if, if anything is good in my life, and I think, again, those of us that have been around for a while have, have come to that conclusion, there's no good in me. Um, but when I, when I am able to love and when I am able to care, when I am able to serve, that's Jesus in me. Um, that's, that's why, really, it, it's hard it's hard to go to become prideful in true wisdom because true wisdom will recognize the source. That, that's the essence of wisdom uh, is it comes from Him. Wisdom comes from God. So there's, there's a humility in that because it, we realize it, it really isn't in me at all. It's Christ in me. That's where it comes from. Uh, here's the, the beauty of this is... James says, if you remember back in chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you can ask God for it. If we're lacking in wisdom, we can ask God, and He will grant us wisdom. Uh, some of you might recall Old Testament story, Solomon, uh, is, is, it's said, is the wisest man that ever lived. And Solomon acknowledged, and we know from Scripture, that that wasn't in him. That wisdom came from God because he asked for it. Let's just uh, look at that really quickly. The story is in 1 Kings chapter 3. It says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever, for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Let's just stop there for a minute. How many world leaders do you think pray a prayer like that? Yeah, that's zero. I mean, that's, there, there's a humility in, in just saying, God, this is so far beyond me, and yet I know that it can be done in you. So would you help me? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, which is also... I think a nice thing to recall. God was pleased with that. When we ask him for help, he likes it. God said to him, Since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime... You'll have no equal among kings, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep the decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So Solomon asked for wisdom, and God granted it to him. When we lack wisdom in our lives, we can ask God, and he will bless us with that. I, I, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the Quaker church. Uh, I believe in the vineyard we are, we are uh, indebted. We owe a debt of gratitude to the Quakers uh, for a number of things. But one of the things I love about them is they do something called a clearing committee. Clearing committee is this. If you uh, are a part of the church and you have a 
a concern or a question or maybe a decision to make or something uh, ahead of you that you're not sure about how to approach, you can go to the church and, and request a clearing committee. And what that is is a group of people, it's a small group, five or six, and they'll come together for a, an extended period of time, usually about two hours, and they will, they will uh, gather together. They'll bring the problem before the Lord. Now, you, can't, you don't give advice. There's no advice giving. They just bring the problem before the Lord, uh, and, and they ask Him to speak, and then they just wait. They just wait on God to speak for two hours, and at the end of the time, they say, okay, what's the Lord said to us about this? And sometimes you walk away from that with maybe a very different sense of direction than you might have had you just given your best input. It's a precious thing, really. I mean, it's a, wouldn't that be awesome if in our church, we, every, every time we had a problem, we said, hey, I, I'd like to have a, a time of just... Uh, bringing this before God and asking Him for His direction. God, God gives us wisdom. God is the source of wisdom in our lives. True wisdom is a result of relationship with Him, of cultivating relationship with Him. Scripture tells us that over and over again. The wisdom literature of, of Scripture particularly tells us that over and over again. Uh, Psalm 110 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. It talks about the fear of the Lord here. It's not, that's not fear in the sense of being afraid of necessarily. There may be a, a, a measure of that, but it's really talking about being in reverence and awe of the Lord. And, and how I would put it is a clear understanding of where, he, where we end and he begins. Okay, you're God, I'm not. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the fear of the Lord. It's just that, that differentiation, that understanding. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Job 28, uh, this is verse 28, but you might want to later just make a note and read the whole chapter of Job 28. The whole chapter deals with the source of wisdom, wisdom coming from God. But it says here, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So so God is the source of wisdom. It it comes from Him. Now, by contrast, this other wisdom that James talks about, which is really not wisdom at all, it's interesting to me in the translation, and and in the, I don't know, he kind of puts air quotes around, you know, like, wisdom... Uh, and, and, and I don't know if in the Greek it's the same word. So he uses the same word, but he uses it sarcastically. And I don't know how, they, how that translation came. I was wondering, did it have the quotes around it? What was, how did that work exactly? But in our English text, uh, the verse actually has those quotes around it. I didn't add those. That's, that's uh, the way it's, it's uh, written in the NIV. But in any case, this other wisdom... Uh, does not come from God. It's not from heaven. He says, rather, it, on the, it's, it's sort of the exact opposite of that. It's first earthly. It's of this world. It's unspiritual. There's no spiritual leading in it at all, except that it's actually demonic. It comes from him. So there is a, 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 a negative spiritual connotation to it. Um, the, the source is different. Uh, true wisdom comes from God. Uh, other, uh, other wisdom that he's talking about does not come from God. Its source is in a whole different realm than that. And it looks different when it's played out as well. Uh, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's what this wisdom looks like. The earmarks, the characteristics of it, rather than humility, are envy and selfish ambition. 
Uh, I want what you have, and I want to get ahead of you. That's, that's the earmark, the trademark of worldly wisdom. I was, uh, so I was reading this and, and reading about wisdom and kind of studying this week and thinking about it. I realized that there are times probably in our culture and in our world where that sort of false wisdom might actually look like real wisdom for a time. Where it might have the appearance of being good for a while. And I thought, I was, I thought about, uh, you might remember Bernie Madoff and that, his Ponzi scheme that he did. Um, I have to think, while he was bringing in billions of dollars... Uh, and while he was boasting returns on investments that were way above what any other investor was boasting, he, he, you know, he had greater returns on the investment than anybody else could give you, he probably looked pretty wise. I mean, there were thousands of people that thought so because they invested with him. This guy looks like he's got it going on. He knows what's happening. Uh, so there was a sense of wisdom that looked pretty good for a while. And, and I mean, again, thousands of people bought into that. Billions and billions and billions of dollars were lost. Unbelievable amounts of money were lost. And the thing that boggles my mind is this thing didn't just happen. It was going on for 20, people, no one knows when it started, possibly 30 years. He was, he, he was pulling this, uh, this little game off. So it had to look really good for a while. But in the end, it was motivated and driven by envy and selfish ambition, and the outcome of it was disorder in every evil practice. In the end, it wasn't so wise. He's now in prison for, I think it's 150 years or something, so he'll be there longer than he is alive, in case you can't figure that out. Um, This is what he said in court. I've left a legacy of shame. How'd you like that to be on your gravestone? I've left a legacy of shame. Some of my victims have pointed out to my family and my grandchildren. Ah, God. Man. I didn't leave a a legacy of grace, a legacy of love. I left a legacy of shame to my kids and my grandkids, and this is something I'll live with the rest of my life. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, I, I, I took the liberty of putting together a little chart for you to sort of compare and contrast wisdom. Verses 15 and 16, the origin of wisdom is not from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, characterized by envy and selfish ambition. The results are disorder in every evil practice. Then in verse 17 and 18, which we'll get to next, he uh, describes wisdom that comes from heaven. We'll see the characteristics of it are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincerity. And the result, I like this better, a harvest of righteousness harvest of righteousness. Um, First of all, he says that wisdom is pure. A couple comments on purity here. This is consistent with with James' logic throughout the book. One of the criticisms of the book of James, I think I mentioned before, is that it doesn't have a consistent theme that runs through it, but really it does. If you remember back in chapter 1, James talked about a person that was double-minded, unstable in all they do. So a pure person is the opposite of that. You're not double-minded, you're single-minded. You have a single focus and, you're, and you have a stability and a direction in your life. So he, he does have a theme that he's creating and running throughout the book. Double-minded is the opposite of that. They're tossed back and forth by waves of the sea. There's no clear direction. The second thing about purity here is that purity 
comes as a result of walking in godly wisdom. As, as, we, as we look to Him for direction in our lives, and we walk our lives out in godly wisdom, we become more Christ-like. That's part of the process of the image of Jesus being formed in us, and we actually become more like Him. John tells us that in First John. He says, all who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. God is pure, and as we walk out wisdom in, in relationship with Him, we become more pure as we go. Now, as we look at the remainder of the definition here, uh, it's, it's worth mentioning again, and I think this is, again, the theme that James is, is really uh, focused on throughout. His primary concern is for the, for the community. Uh, when we talked about speech last week, we talked about the quality of fellowship, the quality of community that takes place, and he does not want to see that disrupted or broken down. He wants to see the quality of community be fruitful and effective and different than what we see in the world. So all of his descriptions of wisdom, again, are things that, aren't, uh, that don't exist in isolation. He... he, he uh, let's... Oh, I have them here. The, 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 I don't have it there. Go back. All right. So they are uh, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Um, I would say this. Peace here, the word peace is, uh, Brogan will appreciate this, arenakos. Uh, it is... Uh, it's, it's similar to the Hebrew word shalom for peace, which does not mean just an absence of conflict or an absence of war. What the, what the, the word peace means in Scripture really is completeness or wholeness. It's fullness in the presence of God. So it's really the blessing of God that covers our whole life. It's not just that I don't have conflict in my life, but it's that I have the presence of God in such a way that my life is whole and complete. That, that is one of the characteristics of the wisdom of God. And again, it doesn't exist. I, don't, I can't have that by myself. I have that in conjunction with others as I do all those other characteristics. Um, I can't be considerate to myself. I mean, I guess I can be considerate to myself, but it would get tiring fairly quickly. All of the submissive, full of mercy, all those things are, are things that are worked out in the context of community. And, and I have to think, in a church where, uh, for example, like a Quaker church where there's times of uh, seeking God's presence in decisions, there's a level of community that takes place that really would be characterized by some of these things. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a community of people that that's what others say? Man, I want to be a part of that. Look, we can, I mean, we can, we can try to, we talk about evangelism and reaching people for Christ and all this. Look, if we just love each other and live this way, I tell you, it's, it's so unique, it's so different than anything else out there. People will want to be a part of that. You can't find that everywhere you go, to be quite honest. I mean, we see it. You see it all around us. You see it in your workplaces. I talked to somebody this morning. There was, there was some backbiting and some things going on at work, and uh, it was ugly. And you know that, I hear that story all the time. We don't see this in, in life, but, but it can exist in the community and in, in the presence of God with one another. So uh, we can be filled with consideration, submission, and, and be peace-loving and good fruit. Um, you know, I, uh, I want to just... 
I, I used uh, another church as an example, but I love you guys. I just think, I think we do see this in our church. I, I, I hear every week about somebody that did some little nice thing for somebody else, somebody that took some food over for somebody, and somebody that helped somebody move, and somebody that cared for somebody else. And I see that a lot, and I, I love those stories. Don't ever feel like you're bugging me or hesitate to tell me those things, because I need to hear that. And I do. I appreciate that about you, because I, I really do believe, by and large, you're a very, a, a very mature and caring community. I just, I just, I got to say that. So, um, enough of that. Let's, uh, let's end... I love it. James, I don't know what his thoughts were here, but he writes his own little proverb. He's going to end his chapter with a proverb of his own. And it's a beautiful proverb. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And again, his, his, his concern is for the community. And he talks about being a peacemaker here. And it's a reminder, I think, in this, this, this section and, and maybe this whole chapter and maybe this whole book, a reminder to us of how important it is to exercise wisdom, to temper our speech, to, to, to put some thought first before we act, to, to, to really uh, care in such a way that we understand that we're all connected. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one mourns, we all mourn. We, we're together in this. That's the, that's the heart of God, the passion of God for his people, and that's what it's really about. So why don't we go ahead and stand?